as we talked about earlier, Justin's going to be doing a series on 24 prayers for 24 days in 2024. So this morning, um, kind of on a short notice to get up here, I uh, was led by the Holy Spirit to take us to Acts. We're going to be reading from chapter 12, and although your bulletin says verses 1 to 10, after I had to submit that to Judy to get it in the bulletin, I expanded that. <laughs> so we're going to be reading verses 1 to 19. I invite you to listen as I read or follow along on the screen or with your Bibles as we get into his word. Now about that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with a sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the festival of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him and said, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his wrist. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. And he did so, and then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him, and he did not realize what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And after they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all the Jewish people that were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. And when he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and she announced that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so, they said. It is an angel. Meanwhile, Peter, she insisted that it... Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added this, tell this to James and to his brothers and sisters. Then he left and went to another place. And when that morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Prayer has become a popular subject in recent years, and there's a lot, um, although it's been with us since the beginning of uh, our Christian faith, there's a lot of people now that's more interested in it. Um, there's a lot of newspaper articles. There's a lot of magazine articles and even TV programs 
that have spent extra time and special um, dispensation to the benefits of prayer. Now, I read an article not long ago from magazine Christianity Today and was entitled Doctors Who Pray. And in it, several doctors had published their beliefs and their results of studies concerning the medical benefits of faith and prayer. And one of them, a Dr. Matthews, wrote this. He said, I can say, as a physician and a scientist, not just as a Christian, that scientifically prayer is good for you. The medical effects of faith on health are not just a matter of faith, but of science. I believe that. And like most of you, I'm sure, I do believe in the power of prayer. Or more specifically, I believe in the power of God who hears and answers our prayers. But there is something that concerns me. Um, you know that a lot of times whenever something has the potential of, of providing, I'll say, personal benefits for us, there are always some people that try to use it to their advantage, and they jump on the bandwagon, and they begin to appeal to their own selfish insights and needs. As a result, some people portray God as a celestial Santa Claus whose primary job is to hand out whatever we want when we want it. There are preachers out there today on TV and even in pulpits that will tell you, name it and claim it, right? Their approach is often a health and wealth prosperity or the prosperity gospel as we know it. They promise that if your faith is strong enough and that if you give enough, God will grant you whatever you want. And we know that not to be true. We can't believe in that. It reminded me of a story about how we are selfish sometimes when we pray, and we want to take credit sometimes even for what God does. Heard about a man in Columbus who wanted to go eat at Huck's one day at lunch, and he was driving through there, and he couldn't find a parking place. And he started around the block, and he said, I'll pray about it. He said, God, help me find a parking place. Made the block again, no parking place. Kept going, God, please help me find a parking place. Third time around, he comes around. There's a parking place right in front of Huck's. And the man says, it's okay, God. I found one myself. <laughs> now, that's, that's the way we pray a lot of times. We want to take credit for things that God does for us. But I think, and I'm convinced, that if we think of prayer simply as a means to get what we want, we're missing out on the true nature and the purpose of prayer. Um, a number of years ago, I saw an article about Ted Turner. Y'all remember Ted Turner? Founded TBS, he founded CNN. Today he's worth $2.6 billion, and by standards around the world, he's, he's not rich. He's a poor man compared to the, I think Elon Musk has $271 billion now. But he has a lot of money. But he was presented an award by the American Humanist Association. Now, they're a group whose principles and um, teachings stand in direct opposition to Christianity. At a banquet that he was invited to where they were going to honor him, he told the audience that he had been brought up as a Christian. He said, I was saved seven or eight times as a child. And that once I even considered becoming a missionary. But his little sister became sick, and he prayed for her. Earnest prayers, he said, but she died. 
And he became so disenchanted with Christianity that he left the church. And then he went on to say, the longer I stayed away from church, the better I felt. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Here's a man that has all the ability and has um, all this impact on so many people. But in the end, he ended up abandoning his faith primarily for one of the reasons because of his misunderstanding of the purpose of prayer. You see, prayer is not something that we uh, do to make God obligated to us to intervene in accordance with our own desires. That's not what prayer is for. But rather, we have to consider prayer to be an earnest effort on our part to bring our desires into accord with His divine will and His plan for us. If you ever pray outside of the will of God, God won't hear it. We are to pray in God's will in everything that we do. Someone once said, prayer is not getting God to, to do what we want, but getting God, but it's God getting you to do what He wants you to do. Think about that for a minute. And I think this is exactly the example that Jesus gave us in the Garden of Gethsemane when He prayed in Luke twenty two forty two. 42. Y'all know what He said. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup. Take it from me, yet not my will be done your will be done. And just as, just as sad as I am about people not, um, that, that take prayer in that direction, I think there are people that, that pray earnestly who misunderstand prayer. Um, because sometimes we pray without genuinely expecting an answer from God, without genuinely honoring God in our prayers and knowing that God will act on our behalf. Sometimes it's like we're exaggerating in a, an empty ritual. Sometimes we do it with zeal. Y'all seen people pray with zeal. And hopefully most of the time that's true in earnest. But a lot of people pray with no expectations of any results to come. I don't think that um, we're the first people to make that mistake. Because in the scripture we read this morning in Acts 12, we read about the group, that group of Christians in the early church who prayed fervently for the apostle Peter. And then when God acted to save Peter, what did they do? They had a hard time believing that he had actually freed Peter from the prison, didn't they? We know that King Herod wanted, from the scriptures we read, King Herod wanted to win his popularity with the Jews, so he arrested James, who was the brother of John, and he executed him. And that went over so well for him that he arrested the Apostle Peter and expected to do the same thing to him. But he wanted to make sure Peter did not escape. So he had 16 men who rotated, four of them every four hours, two shackled to Peter and two outside the cell guarding so that nobody could take Peter. Nobody was going to disrupt his day that he was going to get to execute Peter and get more glory from the people. And from all um, appearances, it would appear to be a hopeless situation, wouldn't it? The end was near for Peter, and uh, these 16 guards would assure that Herod's uh, bloodthirsty appetite would be satisfied. Now, let's switch scenes for a moment. Let's go later in the scripture we read, and let's go, look at, go from the locked cell that's holding Peter to the house of John Mark's mother where this group of Christians 
are gathered. You remember what we read in verse 5? So Peter was kept in prison. <coughs> Excuse me. But the church was earnestly praying for him. Earnestly. Now, when I was in seminary, I just dreaded, and, and Justin and anyone else in here that's ever taken Greek or Hebrew, it's not something you look forward to at all. But it's something that I've come to appreciate because we have to go back and do, i used this word to you before, exegesis, which is a search of the words and what they mean. And the word that, the Greek word that is translated earnestly in this scripture, it's a medical term describing the stretching of a muscle to its limits. And that's exactly the word Jesus used when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The same word, Luke writes in 22:44, He said, and being in anguish, he, that's Jesus, prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see, the Christians that were gathered, they weren't playing with prayer. They were praying earnestly. They were praying fervently. And they were doing it on Peter's behalf. But if we look at the rest of the story, I'm convinced that those who were praying for Peter didn't anticipate what actually happened. We look at verses 6 to 10, we see that. We know that Peter was sleeping between these two soldiers, bound by chains, there was no way out. And this angel appears and the angel takes him, takes him away. And he goes. And when the angel leaves his side, he was astonished. He walked the length of a street, it says, and he was astonished. The angel disappeared. And we need to hear this morning and we need to understand that there is no explanation for that other than the power of God. Can't be explained any other way. It was the power of God that sent the angel the power of God that loosened those chains and it's the power of God that opened that iron gate. It was all accomplished by the power of God. So Peter goes on and when he arrives at the house, what happens? They were still praying. They've been praying for him all night. When's the last time we stayed up praying all night fervently, earnestly? Now, I don't know what they were praying for, it doesn't tell us specifically what they were praying for. Maybe they were praying for Peter to be freed from prison. Maybe it was for him to remain co uh, courageous and bold in his faith, or simply for Herod not to kill him. But I don't believe from what happened that they were honestly praying for Peter's release because they were completely taken by surprise that Peter was at the door. And if they were praying earnestly, fervently, they would have known that could happen. They didn't even believe the young girl, Rhoda, when she came and, and she said, he's here, he's here. They said, no, he's not here. That's an angel. So we have to remember this. Someone once suggested that God sometimes uses surprises to show us that he is still in charge. We have to be ready for those surprises. We have to remember this too. God is able. So when you pray, Pray with expectation that God will answer your prayers according to his will. Seek and discover and understand what God's will is about your situation before you begin praying about it. Now, I'm guilty. Some of you might be. I just jump in there and I start praying without really thinking about what I'm asking for sometimes. 
there's biblical basis for a lot of our prayers. And a lot of times, I just bypass all that and I just go to the heart of the matter in my heart. That's not always the right thing to do. Um, we have to find out, does God's word, can it shed any light on what we're praying about already? Um, are you asking him to bless something that is obviously not according to his word and according to his will? Surely we're not guilty of ever praying for something out of greed. Surely we're not guilty of ever praying for something that will help us at the same time us not think about the impact it would have on others or whether it's right that we should do that or not. Surely, surely we're not guilty of praying the prosperity gospel, are we? Um, I don't think we need to be like the little boy who was sent to his room by his mother because he had been bad. And he stayed in there a while, and she told him he could come out. He said, well, okay, good. He said, I've been thinking about what I did, and I said a prayer. His mother said, that's great. That's fine. If you ask God to help you be good, he will do that. He said, oh, I didn't ask him to help me be good. I asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way we pray. Um, I think we can find a good example of what we're talking about up here this morning, the life of Jesus. See, Jesus did not want to die the horrible death that he did, the death that was waiting on him. He desired God's will in his life for more than he desired his own comfort, though. When, when difficult situations arise in our life and we seek God's help in prayer, I don't know about you, but I automatically conclude that it's God's wills for me to avoid pain and suffering or even death. But you know, we may very well have to conclude wrongly and miss God's best for us in the situation. We don't, we don't know the whole picture at that time. There are times that I know that you don't know what to pray, but when those times arise, we need to go to God in prayer anyway. Tell him that we don't know what to pray. But we desire for him to do what is best for us and for him. And then be comforted in the fact that God is going to do what's best for us. We don't understand everything. Some of you are like me. You know, I'm glad eternity is forever because I got a lot of questions. Got a lot of questions. I don't know that I'll get them all answered, but I'm going to try. Uh, but God desires what is best for us. Now, I like to read, read a lot. I don't know if any of you ever read the book by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It's called, it's a book, A Day in the Life of Ivan Dasinovich. Ivan endured all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. And Solzhenitsyn wrote about this. And Ivan said that one day when a fellow prisoner noticed him praying, he came up to him and ridiculed him. He said, prayers won't get you out of here. And he said, Ivan said, opening his eyes, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. That's a strong prayer. That's a hard prayer. But it's a prayer that hopefully in our lives we all will pray for the will of God to be in our lives. Isn't that great? You know, we shouldn't be praying for, a, for an ease of life, but I should be praying for the will of God to be done through my life. 
whatever that is. And once we come to know God's desires and we know how we're going to be used by God, then we can pray with expectation. Knowing that God is going to answer our prayers. And he does always answer our prayers. You've heard it before. He may say yes now, he may say no, and he may say, let's just wait a little while. Wait, be patient. But when we pray, we also have to be persistent. Uh, When we pray, we need to say, Lord, I don't know how and I don't know who you're going to use to accomplish your will, but I know that you will act. And I'm going to wait with expectation until your mighty hand comes down and moves. And I'm going to keep praying. I'm not going to do it one time. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to close with a story about a gentleman named Howard Hendricks. You may or may not know who Howard Hendricks was. He was an a evangelist. He was a, a doctor of theology, and he, he taught at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years. He was one of the founders of Promise Keepers. Some of you may have heard of Promise Keepers, and he traveled extensively talking. Now, he became a Christian as a young boy, and... Um, His father, George, was a career soldier and was not a Christian. And many times throughout his life, Howard tried to talk to him about his need for Jesus. And I hope you've never heard this from somebody, but some of us have. He would always brush it off and say, son, you don't worry about me. I'm going to work it out. You don't need to be praying for me. I'm going to work it out. So all Howard and his family could do was pray. And in some of his seminars, he would tell people, pray for my father. For 42 years, Howard prayed for his father through his years of military service overseas and even when he came back. And he settled in Arlington, Virginia, where there was a young preacher in Arlington, Virginia named Butch Hardman. And Butch was, uh, somebody gave Butch a cassette of one of Howard Hendricks' evangelistic uh, speeches one day. And he was touched by it. And in that one, Howard had mentioned his father again and asked for people to pray for his father's need to find Christ in his life. Now, Butch listened to it, and some of it actually reminded him of his own father. And even though Butch and Howard lived in the same city, Butch and and Howard's dad, George, lived in Arlington. They had never met. And he said, true story, he says, one day I was driving down the road, And he said, I came up to a stop sign and I looked over and there was a man standing at the corner. And he said, I looked at him. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. And he said, excuse me, let me get some more. I looked at him and he said, you look like Howard Hendricks. And he said, I drove on. He said, I had to stop. He said, the Holy Spirit made me stop and go back. And he said, I made the block came back and went up to him and got out of my car and went up to him and he said, by chance, are you Howard Hendricks' father? Now can you imagine somebody just coming up to you that you don't know and answer that? Can you imagine what he said? He said, uh, yeah, yeah I am. Are you, a, are you a student of my son? He said, no, but his seminars have helped me. And he said, the Holy Spirit just made me say, have you got time for a cup of coffee? And that one chance meeting started a friendship. And I think it was engineered by the Holy Spirit as I read this. Um, 
Butch sensed Mr. Hendricks' hesitancy to go with him because he knew he was a preacher. But he invited him anyway, and he invited him to stop by his office anytime he wanted to for a cup of coffee, and they could talk. Well, being an old soldier who had a lot of action and now plenty of time on his hands, Mr. Hendricks would stop by regularly, and Butch enjoyed their time together, and they got to be good friends, and they talked and talked. But the opportunity to talk about Jesus, he never pushed it. Well, Mr. Hendricks was diagnosed with throat cancer, and it wasn't long before he could no longer come by uh, Butch's office, but Butch was going to his house. And one day he was over there, and he said, Mr. Hendricks, today I want to ask you this. Instead of you, me listening to your stories, I've got a story I want to tell you. Can I do that? And he agreed, and he told him the story of Nicodemus and Jesus as it was recorded by the Apostle Paul. And as their conversation grew to a close, he said after some tears, Mr. Hendricks accepted Jesus as his personal Savior. And he said they made arrangements for him to follow the example and command of Jesus to be baptized. He said, but before they left, he said Mr. Hendricks stood up in his military assertiveness, and he stood up and saluted with a big smile and says, now I'm under a new commander-in-chief. Well, Howard Hendricks goes on to say the last time he saw his father, he said he could not believe. He was, a, he was a withered man, but he said it was the happiest he had ever seen him in his life. He said, I knew God answered my prayers after 42 years. 42 years of prayer. 42 years of wandering. 42 years of asking. But after 42 years of prayer, Howard Hendricks joined a long line of many of others, and maybe some of us in here, who have been surprised by prayer and by God's answer to their prayers. So I want to challenge you as we move into this period of studying about prayer, and we're in the new year, and, and some of us still have some resolutions that we haven't failed yet. A few of us. I'm not going to put myself in that book. But we need to pray fervently, and we need to pray earnestly, and we need to pray consistently. And we don't need to be surprised when God answers our prayers. We should be expecting him to. Let that be our mantra coming into this new year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning is... Jackson comes up and, and Philip comes up to lead us in our commitment hymn, hymn number 623. Maybe there's some of you that, that feel like you do need to make a commitment for the new year. Maybe you want to come up and, and just pray. It's okay. People here will be supporting you to do that. Maybe you want to talk, but if anybody feels led by the Spirit to come forward this morning, we invite you to come as we sing.